there are two sentences that I always say in my trainings, be aware and be intentional. These are the two most important things. And when I'm aware of the consequences of my choices, the fact that I have a choice every day, and when I'm intentional about getting to the objective that I want and getting to the career that I want, to the status that I want, to the job or family that I want, then I can make it. Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author, and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your organization. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Rebecca Kehat. Rebecca is an entrepreneur, a global marketing expert and strategic consultant, and a public speaker and trainer. She is now the CEO of Unicorp, a consulting firm specializing in innovation and strategy in the digital media buy and sell space, offering platform monetization and global marketing and advertising strategies and solutions. Rebecca held senior management positions at Google and at Procter & Gamble and was chosen one of the 40 under 40 of the Marker magazine. I initially met Rebecca when she was at P&G when I collaborated with Daniel Epstein on a branding and marketing innovation effort. We recently reconnected and I felt that this is a perfect opportunity to dialogue and explore with Rebecca about her innovation, thinking and experience. Rebecca, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me, Aviv. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, both of us are Hebrew speakers, but we're doing this in English because most of my audience uh, it, it is not yet speaking Hebrewish or Hebrew, uh, and, and we are fine to, um, to do it this way. Uh, but if, if a word uh, of Hebrew will get into the conversation here and there, that's all right too. Um, and so okay. let me dive in right away by first asking you uh, what are you working on at this time so we get located in your current focus uh, professionally? So today I'm uh, really focused on mentoring um, C-level executives and on doing consulting jobs for uh, big marketing and technology companies um, to really help them to find the right solutions and innovations for their future and to continue to win in the marketplace. Um, on top of that, I'm uh, now running a special accelerator for social startups that is managed by the Rothschild Foundation in Israel. And this is so interesting. I'm so excited about it. It's about two weeks in. And I've met 10 amazing, amazing entrepreneurs, young people between 20 and 30 years old that want to change the world. And being a mentor for those startups is so different because you really feel that you're tipping in into your uh, values and, and really helping to make the world a better place. 
um, after maybe you know 17 years in the big corporate America and um, at managerial positions, going out and thinking of what can I do with my skills and what I've learned and my capacities in terms of uh, marketing and strategy and to translate that into something that makes the world a be better place is um, a great opportunity for me. So I'm thankful for that. And this is what really takes most of my time nowadays. Right, that, that's exciting. So uh, many people in America know of Israel as startup nation. And so to just tell me a little more about how this came about, this accelerator, and what is the, the format and, and how are you uh, mentoring and, and coaching uh, yes. these entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs? Yes, so it's really um, based on the model of the startup nation, right? We all are uh, really startupists when it comes to Israeli. They always talk about this Israeli chutzpah and the sense of innovation and daring to do new things and to challenge the status quo. And I really think that I, I am applying all that is done in um, a commercial startup accelerator from um, building the, the strategy and the product and the consumer segmentation and um, you know, the business model and, and the pitch night and having investors and all that, but into the social environment. And today, um, you know that um, most of the philanthropic funds are looking into impact investment, which is something in between you know, business and, and real social nonprofit where they are willing to invest in a, non, in a non-profit social um, startup if they get a little less ROI than in a usual startup that they would invest in. And I think this is interesting because the way I'm leading this accelerator is very much as I would run a business. And we are looking into the business value that we are creating or the social value that we are creating. We are putting in place data systems, we are putting in place measurement systems. And I think it's, it's a whole new thing for the social world to start talking like real business. Indeed, so can you say a little more about how you define impact in that sense, in, in the more holistic sense of, of both business and social and I imagine that there may be a number of uh, pillars or parameters. Has that this, has, is this already being uh, defined right. or you're still in the process of defining that? Yes, so, so we have defined, you know, quite uh, cross startups measures. Each of the, the 10 entrepreneurs have higher scores in some parameters and, and in some parameters, lower scores. But in a nutshell, I can tell you that we're looking into what is the quality of the impact that is made on society or on the individuals that you are taking care of. How is the tool um, um, scalable and how efficient is it or proven? How, uh, how many people are going to enjoy this social startup that you're making? And how much you know, is it solving uh, a big problem that is not taken care of by the government. So we really want to be in the place where we are most needed and to impact as many people as possible in a very uh, meaningful and relevant way. 
Um, so this is the, these are the measures that we've put together. Um, as I told you, you know, we are just two weeks in, so um, it's quite new, but we've started with the end in mind, as you say, and um, so we have the parameters in front of our eyes every day, every time we meet, um, and this is how we do it. It's a program of about four months. Um, we'll end it uh, by mid-March, and the end is, is like a pitch night event where we'll have maybe VCs and, and impact funds coming over or angels to see um, if they would invest in, in one of them. But I think most importantly for us, it's also very important to, to help those young entrepreneurs to fulfill their dreams and to have the tools and, and um, ability to replicate this, even if they have another idea or another startup later on. So the success criteria for us is not only that they would get an investment in the pitch night, but also that they would be real social entrepreneurs in the future that would be able to build another structure and another initiative. Yes, that's a, an amazing sandbox to, to play in with 10 entrepreneurs. <laughs> what, what was the process? I know, but you know, it's so funny. It's so different. Um, that's why I'm, I'm kind of, of overwhelmed um, and excited because uh, making money all the time just for <laughs> a capitalist company and then to, to move uh, to, to this project of, of those uh, uh, four months, magic four, magical four months, is, is really, really different. Indeed, it, it sounds like a, a, a pivot from success to significance. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. I, I really agree. I think it's, it's very much about, about looking into your purpose in life and where you make uh, the most impact and, and meaning. Um, and I think that during all my career, one of the things that I loved most about PNG was the, the deep principles and values that this company has and that were in really uh, total co coherence and identification with my set of values. And I think that growing up, and, and I reached my 40s this year, <laughs> I, I think that it's important also to give back to society and, and to see how I can help many people and in, a, in a very deep way to, to make a difference in this world and not only um, you know, to make money or, or to have um, personal success or even you know, a, a company uh, success. Um, so, so I think that's, that's very interesting. That being said, you know, I'm, I'm also um, doing con regular strategic consulting projects and, and marketing projects um, with big companies. And funnily enough, I'm, I'm concentrating mostly on technology companies. Um, and it's very interesting to see that marketing is quite the center of everything. It drives the business, but it also drives the internal culture. And when you want to um, create a culture of innovation in a company and even in a technology company where you want people to adopt new technologies that are entering the companies and changing the way business is done, marketing is really your best friend and your best tool to make this happen. So that's also something that I'm, I'm working on. And, and I think that what, what I see that is really um, the red thread through all of my activity is the mentoring. So really helping people to think, um, to act, um, and, and to make impact. Um, and this is, this is where I see right. value. 
Right. So um, we're going to rethread through, through a lot of what you mentioned there, including your time at PNG and the work you're currently doing. But just to one last question about the accelerator. How were those 10 entrepreneurs selected? What was the process? Okay, <laughs> it's cool that you're interested in this accelerator as much as I am. <laughs> so this, this, um, these 10 um, great guys and, and girls actually were selected among um, the 350 Rothschild ambassadors throughout Israel. So the Rothschild Foundation has a program of selecting every year um, excellent students or great uh, leaders in their communities that get um, subsidized by the, the Rothschild Foundation to um, make an impact in their community. Um, so being selected to this program is already very difficult. So, and, and 350 students are selected every year nationally, you know, from north to south of Israel. Uh, and they work in the periphery and in uh, less favorite, uh, less privileged uh, areas. Uh, and among those 350, uh, we have selected the 10 that have shown uh, the most passion, motivation, and skill to right. be able to bring their um, ideas to life. Right. Great. That's a, a great program and a, a great way to uh, scout and, and find brilliant minds at an early stage and, and shape and mold their journey uh, in a way that uh, brings together passion and competence and, and visionary ideas. So, so let's, uh, let's travel to the, the beginning what, what is, well, let me actually ask you, what is your earliest formative memory? Something that happened early before you, and, and we didn't yet even explore that. You were not born in Israel, but uh, t take <laughs> me through the early steps of your life uh, by way of uh, reflecting on, on one or two formative memories, just to, to get that inside the flow of our conversation. <laughs> Um, that, that's a nice question. You know, if I really need to think of my first formative memory of my childhood, I would have two very strong memories. Um, one would be in, um, I think it was kindergarten or, or just the beginning of school, let's say at the age of five or six, I would uh, <laughs> organize a play and so give... That, so, that's, so that's Rebecca before you came to Israel? Exactly. That was in France, in the city of Grenoble, in the Alps. Uh, so for those of you who ski, this is a very nice uh, place, uh, not far from Chamonix um, and all that. So it's, um, so it's in France, actually, when I was five or six. And I would organize a, a play at school and give each of the children a role uh, as, as an actor in my play. So I, I think that was one of my first formative memory when I, I had to, um, you know, take 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 kind of the lead and and so, invent so you create something new for everyone to play in a different way and and you know have fun and have a role and perform 
So you discovered at the age of five or six that you are a producer. <laughs> exactly. A producer, and, a producer and a director. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And that even at this age, you have people that would, uh, even if it's your idea, they would come and say, no, but I want to run the play. Why are you the director? Because it was my idea. But at the end of the day, it's very funny the way that, you know, for, groups are forming and people are, Uh, leading and playing and and at the end I think that this is the best way of, of doing things as as a team where each one has something to do and um, and together it, it becomes much 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 greater so this is my first formative memory the second one is um, actually when I when I came to Israel and I couldn't understand anything in Hebrew and I would speak French and I would cry all day long and have my hands on my ears and say, I just don't want to hear you guys. I can't understand <laughs> anything. And, and this would be quite traumatic. You know, at the end of the day, I had uh, wonderful uh, teachers and friends that would uh, help me and, and coach me. And, and do the homeworks with me. So today I, I speak Hebrew quite well. <laughs> But these are my two formative memories, uh, one in kindergarten and one in, in coming to a new country where you don't understand anything and you really need to adapt. How do you think um, later as you come through the teenage years and then into adulthood, in what way um, has that transition The, the migration to Israel shaped and, and influenced uh, your outlook? Wow, I think it had a lot. I think, you know, Israel is maybe like America. You have people from all around the world that is, you know, constituting a, a great nation. And, and having a different culture and a different language, a different background have given me, I felt it was an advantage. I felt special. So sometimes I was special in a bad way because I was just different. I had... Uh, dresses where everybody would wear simple t-shirts and, and shorts um, and, and, and nice uh, Bali shoes, I remember, where everyone would have sneakers. But at the end of the day, it, makes your, it made my personality quite strong. I knew that I, I was different, but I could affir affirm my difference. I could stand for what I was. And I developed also this Um, capacity to adapt and change and and become resilient like it, become resilient yes and also to to be able to change my style depending on the group I was in the the type of, of people I would be with um, be it you know religious or non-religious be it people that are um, speaking you know other languages and, and people that are only Israeli or people that would have some European culture or non-European culture. So I think this adaptability and the, the, the strength of diversity and understanding the, the way that, you know, having diverse groups is, is making things much, much better uh, was something that shaped me and my character. I also think that the education I had here um, of my parents, I think the family is very, very important. Uh, that's what I learned. And my parents had really two things that were very strong, you know, values, of course, but one was to, to take the lead. Um, it was something very important in Hebrew. You say, in a place right. where there is no one, be someone. 
Yep. So that's something that I've heard a lot in my childhood. And, and that's why I was expected to be, to lead, to take responsibility. I'm also the first um, child of my, of my family. So I think it also <laughs> makes you more responsible. Um, and the second thing is also to have this critical thinking. Um, sometimes I, I laugh and I say, my mom must have invented minority report because or fake news before fake news existed because she would always tell me don't take things for granted think about what you're reading think about your, what you're hearing and decide for yourself if if you think the facts are correct and this is the conclusion or not um so these are really the things that shaped me as a as an adult yes a great background and of course i can recognize a lot of what you're describing uh what <laughs> what did you do after you uh finished high school Okay, so after I graduated high school, I have actually uh, went to the army, the yes, Israeli army. And I Israel, was because in Israel, there is a mandatory service. Everybody serves in the army. Well, almost exactly. everybody serves in the army. <laughs> yeah, right. I had no choice. So um, I, was, I, I was raised in Ramat Sharon. I think that in Ramat Sharon, 92 or 95% of the people are going to the army. So it was not a question for me. Um, I love the army. I think that it was one of the most um, designing experience of my life, defining moments. Uh, I've, I've received a huge uh, responsibility at the age of 19. I had already done my BA um, in economics and management. And um, so they took me to the finance department and I was responsible for hundreds of millions of checkers at, at this young age. And this was very, very formative. It was something that made me, you know, understand where, what am I good at? What are my skills that I'm, I'm trusted? I think, you know, the, the thing that helps most in life is that someone trusts you yep. and gives you responsibility. And, and then sometimes you, you doubt yourself. You, you're not sure that you can make it, but they tell you, yes, you, <laughs> this is for you. Um, and, and it makes you grow. So the army was a very, very uh, strong catalysator for my growth. Let's, uh, let's just uh, put a magnifying glass on those two things you described there. Uh, who was that person that trusted you? Question one, if, if you can talk about it. And question two, how did you then through that phase discover more about really your, your strength, your core competence? So I was lucky enough, you know, to have many people throughout the years um, trusting me. But if we are looking at the period of the army specifically, then it was really my, my, uh, my boss. Um, it, was, it was the boss of my boss, actually, so M plus two, that would um, give me very, very big responsibilities. And, 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 you know, with each responsibility that I've, uh, managed to do and, and succeeded in, in, um, in doing, in bringing innovation to it, in creating new systems, in having really very, very good results, I would feel um, that, I'm, that I'm growing. I, I would have more self-confidence. I really believe also, you know, in this, many times we do behavioral interviews. I don't know if, if you're familiar with that, but um, it, it means that what you've done, you can do and you will do. 
So I really had this feeling when I was succeeding to do something in the army, would it be, you know, to, to do a very complex forecast of the medical spending in the next couple of years and, and I would do it precisely and it would, you know, we would end the year with great budget and, and accuracy, then I would feel, okay, I, re I can repeat that. I've done it once, I can do it again. So that's really uh, what helped me. And, and I found out in the army, I think I found out I had three uh, very different traits that, that helped me then afterwards in my career. One was um, something that they called in the army, Rebecca Power. Um, uh, and <laughs> what, is, what, is, what is the Rebecca Power? So that's funny, you know, because I married the officer that was sitting next to me, Danny. And uh -huh. I'm still married to him. So sometimes we laugh about Rebecca Power because he was with me in the army. He knows what I'm talking about. That would be when you cannot get something um, done or, or when you cannot get something from someone else, then you have to send me and you'll get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I had my boss, the boss of my boss, that would say, we didn't get enough budget from the uh, Ministry of Defense. Rebecca, take, can someone drive Rebecca to the office of the minister? And you just sit there and come back with the money. So I would, I would take this <laughs> opportunity and go to Tel Aviv. It's in the Kiria here. Um, and and uh, sit there, get the money, come back. So that was kind of Rebecca Power. So I understood that I had this ability to convince um, people to to change their minds or to do things for me. Let me give uh, a translation. Let me give a translation. Yeah, <laughs> to an uh, American audience, it, it's, a, it's a compound equation that brings together Israeli chutzpah, creativity, <laughs> innovation, persuasion, and, uh, and a refusal to get a no. <laughs> Oh, gosh. So, you know, I think I, I didn't say to anyone, really, for 20 years. So it's funny that, that we're talking about that tonight. Um, but so, so, so that's one thing that I found out about myself. Uh, I think it's really like you say, if, if, if someone tells you no uh, by the door, you'll get in by the window. That's how they say it in Hebrew. Yep. Um, and the second thing I found out was really the strong analytical skills that I had. I, I was able to, um, to learn actually uh, through a lot, a lot, a lot of work because I, I smile a lot, I, I, I work um, calmly and sometimes it looks like everything is just flowing easily to me, but it's not. I work very, very hard um, and I'm very well um, aware that hard work is really the way of getting things done and, and getting to results um, and excellence. So I, I worked a lot in the army and, and I really developed this um, analytical skills and ability to, to have very, very complex data from various sources and drive together um, a conclusion and an action plan uh, that was very uncommon. So actually, I think yeah. that that was that, and and this is also why I was um, able to get roles that were far beyond my grade in the right. army because right. of of those things. So, 
what you're also describing there inside your unique experience in, in the army is, is even the, the broader picture where at a very young age, people in Israel are able to access and get an experience that in, in corporate life would take you maybe 10 years or sometimes 15 years to get to. And, and all of a sudden you are thrown into these situations at age 18, 19, 20. And, and, that, and that because of that, the army is a crucible of leadership development, of innovation, uh, of entrepreneurship, and of the, the character formation that's required to all those kind of experiences. I totally agree with you. I think that there is another point about the army that is very strong is the friendships and network that you're making there. Um, so, so this is something also very, very strong. I've, I've met people from my army throughout the years and there is no such relationship as something that you had in your young, you know, in your youth. Um, and, and this is also something that is quite unique. Um, I think that also Paul Zinger in his uh, very famous book of Startup Nation is, is talking about the army as, as something that is making the startup nation the startup nation because of the, of the way that they teach you things, that they give you responsibility and that the, de the network that you develop that is very unique. Right. So what happens then? How do you make the journey from the army experience to... Um, what, what happens next for you? How did you get to PNG or what were the stations in between? So after the army, actually during my army, I've done also an MBA in, uh, in finance and marketing at uh, the Tel Aviv University. And uh, right after finishing the army, I uh, went to work for a little uh, private um, equity company where we've actually invested in, um, in a firm called Object. It was back then a startup, and um, it was specialized in uh, 3D printing. So it was very, very new. They came from uh, Weizmann Institute in Rehovot, and they had this polymer printing <laughs> uh, that would look like uh, something orange in, in some kind of plastic. And, um, and actually, three or four years ago, they were acquired by or merged with uh, Stratasys, which is um, the global leader in 3D printing. And today they are worth kind of, I don't know, maybe $3 billion. So that was my first experience in the marketplace, um, working for, for uh, a small uh, a firm that, that would invest in startups in the high-tech um, arena. And, and then, um, then actually, you know, I felt quite lonely because it was, um, I was very young. I was 23 years old and, and um, it was a, a grown-up work for me. So I really wanted to have a place where I'd have more youngsters with me and, and learn every day new things. And that's how I, I went to PNG. Uh, PNG was, opening their subsidiary in Israel. And at the beginning, we were 19 employees. So I was uh, <laughs> on the board for many, for many years of the 19 first employees. And, um, and it was a, a magnificent journey, like jo joining PNG, learning 
from the best uh, marketeers in the world and managing businesses, having the full responsibility of a PNL, having a multifunctional team, a bunch of amazing people that are talented with values, with um, curiosity and, and leadership. I, I thought it was really um, something unusual and, and, and amazing that happened to me to join PNG. And that's why I, I stayed there for 12 years. If you, then, to, if you needed to distill the, the one or two uh, most important learnings and uh, experiences in terms of professionally, what that experience fashioned in you, what, what would you say those are? Wow. I, I think that there are three things that are very, very special about PNG um, that I see also today when I mentor and I do consulting for big firms that they don't have necessarily to this um, extent. And this is really an excellent strength that the company has. The three things are the people, the system, and the culture. Right. I think that the, the people of PNG are really, you know, top talents, but, but also, <laughs> they, I would say, mensch. They, they have values, they have principles. They are looking for a win-win situation when they do business with their partners, with their um, suppliers. They, they are looking for um, improving lives of, of the consumers um, and, and really driving things with a culture that says the consumer is boss and uh, we are going to listen and to, 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 to have empathy for them and to love them and, and to find the best way to delight the consumer with, with our products. And the system, I think the system of PNG is very unique in the way that it drives innovation day in and day out. It is a, you know, it's a company of 185 years, I think, and being able to, to stay, um, you know, big with big market shares in, in the categories that they play in is something that requires a very robust system and a way of doing business that is not dependent on any one individual. So I think these are the three things that formed uh, my professional view at PNG. And of course, you know, I've, I've done global roles and regional roles and, and local roles. So I was very, very lucky to be in BFO, which is a brand franchise organization of always, um, reporting directly to the, to the VP in Cincinnati. And I had the privilege to be also in uh, CMIA um, on Femcare and to drive the change from um, advertising on TV to digital moving uh, most of our efforts on the discrete brand that I was running uh, towards the digital uh, sphere. So that was a very, very interesting experience that I had in 2008. And, and it taught me that you always need to step out of your comfort zone and learn new things. And the fact that I had learned so much about digital advertising in 2008 enabled me to join Google later on in 2016 um, because I had so much uh, knowledge that I was able to step in into a, um, a quite high position at Google uh, without, you know, growing up in the company. So, what was that? What was that uh, experience like? Uh, tell me about the transition to to Google and and the learning from uh, that transition and, and the role you you led in Google. 
Mm -hmm. So I think that um, the transition to Google is something that happened, I think, in, in some terms quite naturally, because back in 2008, when I was in Geneva running the Linus business um, of Simia, I've seen this um, ineffectiveness of TV on, on our younger audience of, of you know, 18 to 24 uh, women. And, and I thought that it was uh, the right way to, to move to advertising on, on Google, on Facebook, on YouTube, um, having you know, all those uh, things work for you uh, as the internet was taking a more important place in our lives and, and the mobile and, and etc. So after learning all that and, and doing this very big shift that was something very big, we also changed agencies and the way that we would um, deploy our marketing toolkits and drive the business, etc. I came back to Israel and I was leading the uh, I was the associate um, director for the Israel, so the number two of the Israeli subsidiary. And here also I've made this big uh, move uh, towards from, from TV and traditional media towards digital. So then when I wanted to, uh, you know, to, to change uh, industries and to move on from uh, uh, PNG towards something different, um, in Israel because I couldn't move uh, abroad again, then Google was one of the most natural options for me. I yeah, they were, the, they were your partner. They were your partners. So the transition, I imagine, was, was natural and easy. Exactly. They knew me as their client. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I could really relate to, to what they were um, selling and, and to the, and I really believed in digital. So I, I could um, take the, the, the opposite side and, and sell it to other clients and other companies as something very effective in their marketing mix. Um, I think that's also, you know, to the audience listening to us, I'm, I'm a big believer in what, what we call transferable skills. And um, I think that what I was able, because between PNG and, and Google, I've actually moved to um, Bank Hapoalim, uh, which is the largest bank in Israel, and I ran the headquarter of the retail division there. And what I've learned is that really, it's very important to develop our skills, whatever we do, so that we can then use them and reapply them to different roles and in different industries. Um, and this is what I would encourage anyone who wants to grow and to stay relevant in the marketplace is to, to learn and to develop the skills and not only, you know, do your work plan and <laughs> tick the boxes yeah. every day. In my terminology, I describe what you're uh, painting there as continue to work on the three floors of your three-story house of work. So on the ground floor, you, you actually get the work done, serve clients, uh, address uh, market needs, and so on. On the second floor, you, you don't work in the business, you work on the business. That is, you find ways to innovate, transform the way work gets done. And on the third floor, you work on yourself. You build new skills, you update your own inner operating system and, and map of beliefs to release and unleash in you greater cap capabilities that perhaps you never realized before. And 
throughout your story, everything you're describing all the way from, from the army experience through P&G and uh, now to the bank, I'm interested to ask you in a minute about the bank and, and, and Google, but what you're describing to me sounds like it has always been very natural for you to concurrently use every experience to work at all three levels, deliver to the objective that were needed. That's the ground floor. Look at the work yes. that is being done and reimagine how that work can be done differently and more effectively and transform it. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, continue to work internally in yourself, developing yourself, building new skills, expanding your capacities and influence and charisma and versatility uh, and, and all of it all at the same time. Yes, that's totally true. Um, actually, I, I thank you, Aviv, for defining it so well. It's quite amazing. Um, yes, I, I just can't tell it better. So tell me about the experience in Bankapolim. What was coming from that uh, very rich uh, experience at, at PNG? What were the unique new learnings that that experience provided you? Wow, I think that um, in many ways, Banca Poalim was very similar to, to P&G. Um, and that's also why I have chosen this company um, as, as my next one, because it's a big company. It's a very successful one. It's the number one in the banking in Israel. It has very solid strategies and extremely good execution power. And it invests in their people and in diversity. So it's also a long-term career place. So for all those things, it was very similar to, to PNG. And I really felt at ease moving from this one to the other one. Um, I think that the differences, of course, uh, that are the most noticeable is that PNG is uh, traded as at maybe $200 billion and Bank Apolim is has um, revenues of 14 milliard shekels. So the, the size at the end is very different. It's much, much smaller. But the importance of my role was much, much bigger. And as I would be associate director at PNG, which is quite good, when I would be at this level or a bit more in the bank, which was, I was in the top um, 100 managers of the bank and it was a bank with 14,000 employees. I, I was able to influence directly the biggest decision the bank would take and things that would impact the consumers right away and, and to do things that would go to the stock exchange market uh, immediately and, and, you know, and have uh, be, be present in all the board of directors meeting and in all the management, top management meeting, um, as I would be uh, leading the headquarter of the retail division and in most of the uh, managerial discussions of the, of the bank, bank, I would be present. So I think this was the biggest, biggest change. The fact that suddenly I was sitting in a meeting with the board of directors of the company, whereas at PNG I would never sit in a meeting of the board of directors and never have an influence that goes to the stock exchange market. Right. 
Right, so the decision power, the level of influence, the seeing and experiencing directly the, the inner machinations of the senior most uh, level of the company, all of it uh, uh, sounds like an, an important, empowering uh, experience. And, and one also that I, I imagine uh, debank all sorts of um, myth because it's one thing imagining it from the outside. It's another thing when you sit at the table and you see that everybody else at the table are human beings exactly like you and uh, you can play the, the big game like they do. Yes, exactly. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's quite impressive, you know, the first time that you sit at a, at a board meeting, it's, it's impressive. But then, you know, at the 10th or 20th time, you're, you're just like going to another meeting. So, so going from there to Google, what, what is an, an experience or a learning that you would highlight from the Google uh, role and, and time? I think that um, what I've learned at Google is that there is power to change the world through technology. Um, it's very, very interesting and, and impressive to see uh, how much power you have in your hands and how much respect you get just from having this business card. <laughs> I thought that it was a bit, you know, it, it's a bit shocking that when you come from PNG also, where you don't have most of the time a business card and everything is done very quietly and your titles are understated uh, and, and, you know, everything is very, very modest. When you go to Google and, and suddenly you see that it's, it's almost like... <laughs> God and, and people really admire it and admire the office and admire the event and they admire you and they admire everything you do. So I, I thought that it was a lesson about the world and, and maybe even the, the superficiality, you know, the, the, the superficial side of it, that yeah. how much you can be blinded by, by, uh, <laughs> by this, but the hollow of, of a big brand. You're talking about the phenomenon of proximal power. A lot of um, power in the world, whether it's fame-based power, wealth-based power, or position-based power, is power by association, by being proximal to some large entity, either in, because of your role or because of your position or because of uh, that, and, and then power that's projected onto you from other people because of what they perceive you to be and uh, how that is experienced on the other side. <laughs> that's an important liberating experience to go through. Yes, exactly. And I think that something even more empowering is when I became independent in the past, you know, let's say one and a half years, I've, I found out that I was always Rebecca from Google, Rebecca from PNG, and I was not just Rebecca, you know, it was everything, as you say, this proxy, how do you call it? Proximal power, power Proximal by association. power, exactly. So I had kind of, let's say, 16 years or 17 years of proximal power in very powerful organizations. And, and then suddenly becoming yourself is something that is 
both humbling experience and also very, very, very empowering experience because, you know, the first time I had my consulting deal or my, my client and, and I saw that I had things to give to the world that people want and that people even want to pay for, I, I understood that um, I'm worth more than the proxy power that I had. So I think that this is very, very strong. Yeah, and plus <laughs> you, discover, you, you yeah. discover that you can make the same money and more and raise a family <laughs> and live the same life, yes? <laughs> oh, I hope so. It's still not at the level of before. <laughs> But uh, I'm on my way. I'm on a, a good way, hopefully. But I think that it is... Um, It makes you at peace with yourself, and I think there is no price to be to being yourself um, close to your values, doing exactly what you want to do and and you know I didn't tell you, but I'm also doing a lot of women empowerment workshops and trainings and and I have very big, big clients um, on that one and and I see how much influence I can have on others. And this is much, much bigger than working just for one firm and at the end of the day, maximizing their uh, profit. I was just about uh, ready to approach this, this space um, <laughs> okay. of, of you being, looking at this amazing career of yours um, and you. you're raising a family and you are a mother and, and give me the, that angle in the story And I know it's a, we could talk for two or three hours just about this space and women in business and strong women yeah. and, and this moment in time in the evolution of culture and the place of women all around the world, around the Western, Western world and in Israel. But give me the skinny version of, of how you see this moment in time and, and your commentary from, from your, um, the kind of, help and mentoring and coaching that you offer other women? Okay, so um, really the skinny version. <laughs> um, so first I think that the world has evolved and what was true for me 20 years ago starting my career and today is quite different for the young people joining the workforce. And what I mean is that the definition of success was very much single-minded. It was have a great title, have a great package, and be married with children. And that was the success formula. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and I think that today the world has evolved and, and people can choose their own success formula and not be binded to uh, boxes and paradigms that the society is um, kind of... of, of portraying to us as, as the shiny um, diamond. So, so that's, that's, you know, the, the, um, the caveat that I want to say before starting. Well, let me just say back to you what I heard you say and also put a caveat in there. I think what you're saying is that we have entered a time where the algorithm of success is self-fashioned, self-curated, at, yes. at least by definition, by, by permission. The reality of it is that everything appears with dual polarity. So the, right next to the empowerment of it, for many young people, they find this to be very confusing. 
because they believe that they cannot or they don't know how. And what, what's happening I see with, with many is they assimilate or they, they look to emulate someone else's algorithm. So people have now heard for a couple of decades, just find what you love to do and, and, and do it. But the fact of the matter is many people are struggling to find what they love to do. And, and then they're struggling with finding how to bridge together an area of passion and an area that makes a difference and, and build the, the Venn diagram of that convergence zone where passion and competence and making a difference uh, can come all together. So, but you have somehow been able to, to do that. Uh, so, so how do you coach and mentor mm-hmm. and, and assist other women in, in that journey? Yes. So, so I really believe in, in, as I said before, you know, in, in learning and becoming professional in whatever you do. Um, and, and I see that as, as the most important, the fact that you are bringing value, business value in what you do is what would uh, promote you and advance you in your career most. But I think also that life is like a sinus function, you know, it goes up, it goes down. And you don't have to be at the same speed every year of your career. You can take some years that you slow down and maybe you're more with your family and your children and some years where you speed up and they won't see you <laughs> even on weekends because you're going to work very hard. I think that it's very important that you pace your career as you wish to see it. And I would say that there are two sentences that I always say in my trainings, be aware and be intentional. These are the two most important things. And when I'm aware of the consequences of my choices, the fact that I have a choice every day, and when I'm intentional about getting to the objective that I want, and getting to the career that I want, to the status that I want, to the job or family that I want, then I can make it. And I, I also have um, a little, you know, theory or tip that I give, and it's something that I've I've created uh, many years ago. And it's a triangle. So it's an imaginary triangle where you have three angles. One angle is career. One angle is me, and one angle is family. And I believe that the liberating choice is to think that every day you need to choose two, two angles a day. And this concept is very, very helpful because it makes you choose. It makes you know that today, if I'm doing me and career, then I'm going to do my sports and maybe I'm going to go out with my girlfriends and I will be in this um, mega board meeting the best I can, but I'm not going to take care of the children and I'm not going to go to the kindergarten and I'm making this choice. It's a conscious choice. And so I don't have these guilt feelings in this day. On the other hand, I can choose every day. So never mind if I made a mistake today, tomorrow I can choose differently. And I think that's, that's what helped me most in my career. I could be totally engaged in the career when I wanted and totally engaged in my family when I decided to. And I, of course, had a lot of help and I knew to ask for help and I knew to discern what is the thing that I am the only one to do and what are the things that I can outsource. And I think that, you know, if women would apply this triangle, many, many women would go right 
up and, and further in the career ladder. That's, um, that's beautiful and powerful. And um, sounds to me a more complete formula than, than lean in. <laughs> because essentially, you are giving permission <laughs> to, to lean in and lean out to each of those three critical uh, foundational factors of, of your life. So I, I really appreciate the way you formulated that. This is, this is great. Uh, two, two I think, final... you know, I, I think, Aviv, that I was brave enough to give an angle to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and the way you formulated the power and meaning of choice, knowing that what that meant is you don't have to be perfect today because life is a, is a work in progress. You can make an updated choice tomorrow and you can, can continue to refine those choices as you go. Thank you for that. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, how would you describe living in Tel Aviv to somebody that uh, never visited Israel, never been to Tel Aviv? What, and you have lived in Europe as well. So what, uh, what is it like? And, and why do you love uh, being in Tel Aviv? <laughs> Wow, I, I really love Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is, um, is an exciting city. I think it has a bit of everything. Um, maybe from the cities that I know, it's, it's kind of a mix between the US, between New York and Los Angeles or something, because you have um, <laughs> those uh, beautiful <clears throat> urban views with big and, and high towers um, and buildings. and, and on the and other hand, a, you have and, a bit of a and, and beach and, um, and, and yes. Yeah, and, and perhaps if you put a New, York, New York and Los Angeles, perhaps a, a bit of a flavor of Berlin too, but all in a unique Israeli Mediterranean spirited <laughs> way. Yes, actually, you know, when I, I was, uh, I, when I was uh, leading um, the, the, the business in Simia of, of the street, then I, I would travel a lot to to Russia and to Moscow, and, and many of the buildings in Moscow resembles the old buildings of Tel Aviv. And this just shows you that the people who came here in the 30s, in the Aliashnia, the second uh, uh, big, uh, big uh, immigration, um, were Russian and they just uh, replicated what they knew. But I think that, that Tel Aviv, to, to come back to the point, is, is such a lively and fun place. You have a lot of restaurants, a lot of coffees, uh, bars, parties. I think you can find every evening uh, a great musical show, theaters, um, and and you also have the the more quiet side with the with the seashore, with the um, beautiful park, Park um, Ayarcon, and. And um, and also the lively business area that is you know every every day growing and wherever you go today you can see another building coming up and it's so surprising in the last in one or two last years we have so many tall buildings and and a beautiful rejuvenating uh, um, ambience of of the city so I really recommend you to come <laughs> it's one of the most beautiful cities and and funniest place that you can have. A lot of different uh, things to do. We also have now uh, a very big uh, exposition, exhibition of uh, modern art uh, from all around the world with very, very rare pieces of impressionism and, and so on. So 
it's it's really amazing and every day something new is happening and not talking about the startups and i was just uh, two days ago in the jp morgan convention um for for technology and innovation talking about ai and data science and and blockchain and, and it's so active and and hectic and and really really a place where things are happening all the time what do you imagine for yourself uh, five ten years in the future <laughs> oh, that's a difficult question you know for someone who always had a great answer for that when I was a child I knew I wanted to be a prima ballerina um, <laughs> dancing ballet uh, and when I grew up I wanted to be a CEO of a big corporation and even uh, <laughs> uh, of, of very very big uh, companies today I'm not sh- quite sure what I want to be when I'll be Uh, big. Uh, I think that I can tell you what are the, the feeling that I want to have. I want to feel fulfilled. I want to feel happy with my family and I want to feel that I am bringing value to all my clients and uh, to all the people that I interact with. Right. Well, right there, there is a lesson, which is that uh, there is a point in a person's journey and, and professional career where the anticipation and the projections uh, of where you want to be are defined more by the interior states and the qualities and experiences uh, of how you feel inside your life than by the roles and titles uh, that you have next to your name. So right there, there is a lesson. This is beautiful. Um, thank you, Rebecca, for this uh, exploration with you today as as we bring this to lending you have already said there so much but uh, is there any additional parting wisdom you want to offer to people listening to create new futures I think that um, I would say that really you should have your values compass throughout the way and know what you believe in and and grow with this and do whatever you Is really driving you in a direction that that you feel um, fulfilled and that you can excel and you have your passion at because this is really the the secret of success it's the combination of uh, being fulfilled and being true to your value in the sense of the integrity of who you are as a human being uh, and as a professional and when when those integrate and Uh, you're living as a whole person rather than just as half or third of a person. Yes, you know, um, at Google, when you have your, your name and your picture in the, in the people finder, I don't know how you call it, like the, the place where you can find all the employees, you need to, to choose three words um, to describe yourself below. And the three words that I had chosen was, were smile, dare, win. And I really believe in that. So I would say <laughs> to the people listening, um, smile there and win. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Aviv. It was great. Here we are. We've landed this Create New Futures journey and it's your time to take action, to create your new future. Here are a few steps you can take this week. First, Build transferable skills. Do not settle to just doing the work that's in front of you. 
deliberately use your work and the challenges it brings as opportunities to build new transferable skills. Enlightened living is found in using one effort to accomplish multiple objectives and to serve a series of purposes at different altitudes. Second, be very intentional about your career. You don't have to go, go, go in one straight line all the time. Become clear about what's important for you. Pace yourself and navigate your professional journey with that intentionality in mind. And third, grow and expand the circle of trust. As Rebecca offered, the greatest help we can receive on this earthly journey is to meet someone who is prepared to trust us. I will add that when you receive the benefit of another person's trust, they show you that you can learn to trust yourself and that you can learn to trust others. Who will you extend your trust to? Who will you pass on this life-changing gift of trust today? One more thing. You can reach me directly by phone and on email to explore how we can help you and your team create your new future. See you next time.